Well, hello there, family. I didn't see you there. And welcome back to another edition of Crenshaw Corner. I am your host, Sanchez Crenshaw. And guess what, family? I am not joined by the best part of my day. (laughs) This is going to be a little different today, family. Um, So if you've listened to any episode this month, you know that we are doing something different for the month of June. The month of June is Father's Month. It is Father's Day. So we decided to take the entire month and just celebrate fathers, talk about fathers, um, allow fathers to talk to you. So that's what we're going to do today, family. Um, Before we get into that, though, a little quick housekeeping. So for our new family members, thank you for listening. However you found us, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Podbean, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Google Play, whether it's Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or on our own personal website at www.thecrenshawcorner.com. We thank you for listening. For our returning family members, you already know how we feel about you. We thank you so much for going along this journey with us. It's been over a year, and yet you're still with us, and we just thank you for that. Um, We consider ourselves an interactive podcast, which means we can be found on the socials. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, all in the Crenshaw Corner. And, of course, you can email us at any time at thecrenshawcorner.gmail.com. Once again, thecrenshawcorner.gmail.com. Now, family, understand Anybody who's listened to this show knows I went through the introduction very quickly. I felt like interrupting you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, I went through it. And that would have been about right if you did. That's what I'm used to. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But typically the introduction takes 73 minutes just to get through because my wife, she's, you know, my wife. But with this particular episode, I am so excited to get to the gentleman that I have on the microphone for you today. So we're going to do a quick introduction, and then we're just going to get into it. So I'm going to point to the beautiful man to my left. Please introduce yourself to the family. My name is Jordan Hicks. I am uh, so excited to be with you guys today. Um, I get the privilege of serving here in the Charlotte area as a campus pastor at one of the locations with Elevation Church. We're located just across the state line in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Elevation River Walk. Um, And I feel completely and totally unqualified to be on this Father's Day podcast. I'm hoping to learn a lot today because I don't know nothing yet. I've got a 10-month-old baby girl named Lennon. Um, My wife and I uh, had her last July, but uh, excited to to share what I've learned and uh, hopefully learn a few things from you guys along the way over the next uh, 73 and a half minutes. I love it. And that's why I always be plugging. I love that. I love that. Sir, introduce yourself. Actually, reintroduce yourself to the family because they know you. Okay. Uh, Jarvis Swanson. Um, I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am a unconventional father. So I've been a father longer than I've been uh, for, for over half my life. Wow. So I had my first child at uh, 16 and so I have four children. And so I've got a wide breadth of experience <laughs> and, uh, I'm excited to be here and just kind of share my, what, what I've learned and, and what my experience has been and, uh, my pre and, uh, post Christ relationship right. fathering. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to Two get into that. Fathering. <laughs> and then last but certainly not least, sir, introduce yourself to the family. Um, hey, how y'all doing? My name is Chris Kane. Um, I'm from Florence, South Carolina, but I currently just moved to Indian land after living in Charlotte. Um, super excited to be here to not only learn, but hopefully inspire. Um, I'm 36 years old, the father of four amazing young ladies. Um, and I'm, I'm on the same journey with you guys, just trying to figure it out and be the best that I can be. I love it. And if you notice, so Jordan has one, um, Jarvis has four, Chris has four, 
I have four. So yeah, Jordan. Like I said, I don't I don't deserve to be on this podcast. <laughs> I got some work to do. Have me back in four years. No, no, sir, not at all. So guys, as I was saying, this we just want to have conversation about being a father. Jarvis, you mentioned you've been a father longer than you've been an adult. Exactly. Which is crazy. Um, I'm in kind of the same boat. I had my first child when I was like 19 years old. I was still a baby when I had a baby. Right. Had no idea. Um, so what I want to do, I want to kind of go back just a little bit. Talk to your father experience, not from you as a father, but what type of father did you have? Who wants to go first? Well, I'm, I'm open to that. Um, very, very solid household. Right. Um, my, I came from a military family, so my dad was like a master sergeant in the National Guard. Um, very inspiring father. Uh, learned a lot of lessons. Um, I was the king of not being able to sleep in, so I don't <laughs> sleep in right now. Um, I wake up early every morning, um, and that just comes from force of habit. Right. Whether we were up, you know, jogging, cutting grass, doing work, it was just a structure and discipline that was taught from the very beginning. Um and, you know, just to have that in my household and have a lot of friends who didn't even have a father at okay. all, um, it was it was very inspiring. And I do know that that, that rolled down into to how I handle my children right now. So. I'm glad you said that because we're going to get into that as well. Jarvis, what about you? What was your father experience like coming up as a child? It was not that. Um, my father was an amazing man. Um, he uh, was brilliant. Um had a lot of uh, life experience, right. but he was a heroin addict. Okay. And so um, there was no structure. Um, he was volatile. Right. Um, he was angry. Um, he wasn't violent uh, all the time. Okay. Um, but um, uh, again, like, you know, if, if, he, if he had been uh, fully in, in himself, right. um, there was nothing that he couldn't do. Um, he was good at everything, but uh, that beast mm. uh, made it a challenge as a father, okay. uh, made it a challenge for us as children, um, made it to where my mother really in the home was, you know, she had to be kind of like our protector, right. our teacher, our father at the same time. So, um, but at the same, with all of that being said, I feel extremely blessed that I had him in the home because half right. a father is, was better than no father at all. I okay. knew know where I came from. Right. Joe, what about it's you? Amazing. I was uh, probably a little bit more like Chris's situation, really fortunate. Um, grew up in, a, in an amazing home, amazing parents. Uh, my dad was an uh, uh, educator, um, so he's been a teacher his whole life, 40-some-odd years, um, but really present. Uh, really diligent, um, very disciplined, very structured. Um, I feel like I learned a lot in terms of just the values of uh, work ethic and right. consistency and faithfulness and all that from from my dad. Um, had his flaws. We all do. Um, you know, there's things uh, about even just this first year of fatherhood, there's things that like I am trying to implement that he taught me. Right. And then there's things that I took from him that I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't want that necessarily exact, exact experience. And then trying to figure out, okay, how do I need to shift or what do I need to learn to not represent that? Cause there's, uh, not things I've struggled with, but you know, there's things I've had to kind of unlearn about, uh, some of the ways that I was raised, you okay. know, that I don't necessarily want Lennon to hopefully have to deal with that, but I'm going to mess her up in some other ways. I'm sure too. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um I'm closer to the spectrum with Jarvis um, than I am with you and Chris. 
Um, although my father was not a, he didn't have that particular addiction. He did have an addiction though. He had a, he was an alcoholic actually to this day, he's still an alcoholic and he was a womanizer. And I think he might've finally stopped womanizing and he's old now. So hopefully we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, but I didn't, I knew, I knew of my father, but I did not know my father. Mm. So my parents divorced when I was four and he was stayed in and out of my life pretty much to this day. So I didn't, so un, even though, you know, Jarvis, you're saying half a father is better than, I didn't even have a half. Mm-hmm. I had about a quarter, mm-hmm. which made it, uh, made it worse for me because every time I look in the mirror, I see my father because I am the identical carbon copy of him when it comes to physical appearance. So that always made it harder for me because growing up, all I've ever heard was, you look like your daddy, you look like your daddy, which in turn, we got to be careful what we say to our kids. Mm. We got to be careful. Absolutely. Um, Because, and they didn't do it on purpose, but I I never heard anything good about my father Mm -hmm. growing up. No one ever had any good word to say about him, but then they're always telling me that I am him. You look like him. You're Bobby. My father's name is Bobby. And so for me as a child, I took that as, well, if he's no good, what does that say about me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's why as fathers, we have to, parents, we have to be really careful in what we say. But I'm curious. So I want to go to Chris first. I always want to start with Chris. Mm. Because the reason I always want to start with Chris is because you're the father of all. I only have one girl. Me too. And I know, and you have a daughter. So we all have daughters. I only have one. And I, I know growing up, her growing up and trying to raise her right, even to this day, because my daughter is 24. It's crazy. Right. How do you do it? How do you raise four girls? Oh man, it's uh it's been a roller coaster. Um it's one of those things where I also had a brother that was in the military. Right. And so I come up from just this household and only having a brother and never even having a sister to know how to navigate right. females. Um, but the way that my mom taught respect for women in general, I think that had a big part of it, but it's just constantly a process, man. Um, I definitely learned just from research on my own that listening was a big factor. Right. Um, just like you can imagine with your wives, any woman, um, listening always helps like listening and just, uh, not being ready to react, but just kind of paying attention to what's going on. Um, you obviously have to be a little bit more in tune with your emotions just because, girls handle it differently um and it's just it it seems like almost i had to redesign it because my girls are almost about two years apart okay so every time i thought i got something down packed the Mm. next daughter came and she was different right so it's like oh man this is a this is a new challenge like cameron she was the first she spoiled me she made it easy what are the ages um we're at 11 9 uh Actually, 13, 11, 9, and 7 now. Oh, you got the teenager. So I just hit that mm. teenage mark. Um, <laughs> Need to stop and pick she's right even now. At a, right. She's <laughs> even at a struggle. Um, she's even at a struggle right now just because it's that thing of, like, she's ready to be mature. She's ready to take on the teenage role. But right. then she's got these younger sisters who still feel like she's younger. So it's that cross between, oh, I got to play and, like, minister to them but then I also want to be in tune with my friends and kind of be open to more things that I haven't been able to do yet so um I know just like with me with her we have this struggle and um there's something that I put in place and as we get through it I'll I'll definitely go back to it um but I had to create something this year in the midst of the pandemic and I called it 10 at 10 and we'll get into that um but it was just something that 
I just had to learn to delegate time to each one of them. Okay. Like, yes, you have four. Um, it was even more interesting for me. I think my wife works at night. So not only did I work all day and I have four daughters, but right. when I come home at night, it was me and just four daughters. Okay. So, I mean, I was the one they randomly would get sick when I'm at home and she's at work. <laughs> so I had to learn how to be the doctor. I had to, you know, learn how to be the wife. She cooks a lot, but sometimes I did have to cook. And there were all these challenges that I had to, to incorporate and deal with um, just and just learn. I mean, it was just a learning curve all the time. But just for me, I just take so much pride in being a father and being a girl dad that right. I want to succeed in it. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. If you want to succeed with that, um, then then you can do it. I love it. Now, Jarvis, if I'm not mistaken, your oldest is your daughter, correct? Right. Correct. So you had a you had a daughter at 16. Mm-hmm. Please unpack that. Walk, walk me through that. What was because, like you say, at that point you're still a kid yourself. You Absolutely. you have no idea who you are. Absolutely. So what was that process like for you? Um, it, it was a challenge. Um, you know. I'm, when she was conceived, I was 15. Okay. And, um, you know, just finding out that, that uh, her mom was pregnant, you know, I, I kind of said, uh, I didn't even say this out loud, but I said it to myself, and I kind of, I, I remember it vividly being in the school auditorium. At this point, I was a, you know, three-sport athlete. Right. And I said to myself, my life is over. Oh, wow. And that quiet statement inside of myself slowly started to live out in my life. Okay. And so I kind of slowly started shutting down. Like not not all at once, but just a little bit, little bit at a time, I started shutting down. Right. And then when she was born and I was 16 at that point, um her 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 uh her mom's family, we were we, you know, we, we kind of all grew up in the church, so we were in the church. This kind of all happened in the church. Right. And um, there was some family history between her family and my family that I had nothing to do with or didn't know about um, that caused them to make some decisions that weren't best for her, either her or myself. Okay. Um, so they kind of took her out of the church, kind of hit her. Mm-hmm. Like she was never allowed to come back to church. And, um, <laughs> and so I didn't know when, when Jaleesa was born. I, I, did, I was not aware. Oh, like, wow. Uh, she was born, and, and it just so happened that one of her sisters saw my brother on the bus and said, hey, you know you got a niece now. And she, oh, she wow. was like two weeks old at that point. So that's how you found out. That's how I found out from wow. my brother. Um, and, you know, this was before cell phones, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so it wasn't no, no wasn't social texting media, everybody, right? no social yeah. media, no tweeting. <laughs> exactly. So um, that's how I found out that I was, a, you know, that she had been born. And, and I went into a deep state of depression. Oh, wow. Because I didn't, I, I'd never seen her, didn't, you know, I don't know who this, who this child is. And so it probably took about two months. And then I, my mother came home from work one day and I was sitting in the dark um, and I was just sitting there. I didn't know that I was depressed. Right. <laughs> my mother came yeah. in and was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is, we got to do something. And so she reached out to, 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 um, her parents and and I met my daughter for the first time in the mall. Wow! Uh, they they uh, let me hold her for five minutes and then took her away again for five whole minutes. Yeah, and so I didn't see her. I didn't see her again until um, she was about eight months when I saw her again. Okay, and 
The second time, uh, so at this point, her mother had moved out, moved from her parents' home. Just, you know, she was trying to do things on her own. Right. And I am in the, I think I'm in like 11th grade at this point, and it's spring break. And her uh, her mother says, can you keep the baby for, for a couple days? And she left her with me for two weeks. This was the first time I'd ever spent any time with her. So a couple of days goes to two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> That's what you call trial by fire right yes, there. Sir. That's like, and I didn't know anything about her. Now, fortunately, I had my mother who understood children and, and right. kind of helped, helped me with it, but I didn't know anything about her. And so she, you know, she had, um, she, not necessarily special needs, but there were things about her as a baby that needed to be, you know, she, she didn't have normal bowel movements. They had to be like, um, you know, like inspired. Right. <laughs> they I had get to you. Be inspired. Yeah. And um, so I just, you know, I'm learning all of this in a two week period and it was too much. And so when her mother finally came back to get her, I didn't see her again for two years. I was like, no, I, I, you, you'll never do that to me again. Oh, wow. And so for those, for those first uh, two years, after, you know, what happened that made it two years was I had a son. So now I'm 19 with another child. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at him, and I, and I say to myself, I cannot love him as much as I love him. This is, like, he's just born. Right. I cannot love him this much and have another child that I don't love. Right. And so um, that kind of started a, a, a desire to have a relationship with, with my daughter, regardless okay. of, you know, her mother. And so she was about two at that time. She was about two. Now I wish I could say that, you know, immediately I got right on it. Right. I, no, <laughs> that didn't happen. I just had the thought. <laughs> <laughs> I just had the thought and, and still didn't, you know, exactly react to it. Right. And, um, Kept living, kept raised, and, you know, was involved with my son, not involved with my daughter um, until she was five. And then at five, I, I got custody of her. Okay. Yeah. And so um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge because I'm a logical thinker, right? logical communicator. With reason is kind of like, you know, my go-to is it, if it don't make sense, then why are we talking about it? Right. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't work with women. Like, that doesn't no, work with a daughter. It doesn't. That doesn't at all. I don't know if you've learned that or not yet, Jordan, but um, reason and logic and family, ladies. I plead the fifth. I love you. I love, I'm not, not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that women are not logical. I'm right. not saying that not at all. all. Not at exactly. All. But it's not their communication style. Yeah, it's not, typically, it's not their first, it's not their first communication style. Exactly. Typically. Yeah, there's a level of like uh, listening, I think you were saying, Chris. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to listen and understand. And so much of the time, I think it's, uh, the, the thing beneath the thing, right? you know, there's something else that's fueling the, you know, the emotional response or the thing that they're actually communicating and trying to actually get beneath the surface to understand whether it's your daughter, whether it's your wife, hey, what's actually going on here? Right. You know, I think it's important. Now for you, Jordan, um, for the family who does not know. So for the longest time, you just wanted to be a father. That I was did. one of the biggest things on your list. You I just did. wanted to be a father. I did. So finally... Um, you and your lovely wife were blessed, yeah, man, and given a, a child, and so now you have a daughter, yeah, man. So unpack, walk us through the first, walk us to two things for okay. me: the first time you found out that okay. you guys were pregnant, yep. and then the first time you saw your daughter. 
like first time I saw her on the ultrasound, first time I like held her. In first my time arms, you like held her and like physically saw her. Um. Okay. So the first time we found out, like when we found out we were pregnant, it was totally a surprise. And um, I, I have like a hard time kind of like not telling this story, but you know everybody's journey to have a child is different, right? right? There are probably people listening to this that have probably been struggling with infertility on some level right? or, you know, struggle for years or have lost a child. Um, that was not our struggle. Um, we were actually like really fortunate, really blessed. When we made the decision to actually like, you know, officially start trying, we literally got pregnant like the first month we started trying. Right. Um, and it was actually totally a surprise. Danny was like randomly checking like, I don't know, you could get all these like, you know, get all scientific with it. You know, you got to pay attention to like hormone levels and timing and like all that stuff. Right. Anyway. So like all of a sudden she like, uh, just happened to be like checking where she was from a hormone standpoint and was like, uh, honey, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, there is, there's no way. Like, there's literally no way. We took like 17 pregnancy tests and we were like, <laughs> okay, this is like, this is real deal. Holyfield, you know? And then I've, you know, just been around enough, talked to enough people who have lost a child. Miscarriage is, is fairly common, especially in those first 12 weeks. Right. So then you kind of like hold your breath, you know, through the first trimester, just like believing that like, hey, everything will go, you know, well and all that stuff. And thankfully we had a perfectly healthy pregnancy, delivery, healthy baby, like absolutely amazing. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's even like words to put around the like the moment when you hold your child for the first time. Right. Like is just is just crazy. I remember being in like in the hospital and in the delivery room and you know, people all, all have like, you know, uh different strokes or different approaches. Like some people are like, I don't want anything to do with it. Just like I'm gonna be in the waiting room. Call me when the baby's Let here. Let me know when it's done. No, I was like, I was like coach. I was like in it. I was like holding hand measures. I was like talking to the doctor. I was like, oh I was I was gonna like be in every every part of it. Um and I remember the moment when, like, I got pushed away because, like, baby was coming out, right? So nurses, doctors are all, all, all step in. You know, I got to cut the umbilical cord. You know, we put linen on, on Danny's chest for a few moments. And uh, then they cleaned her up, swaddled her. And I got to hold her, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes, uh, you know, after she was born. Right. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Just thinking about, like, the thing I kept telling Danny, even when she was, like, pregnant, is, like, you know what's insane is, like, our daughter just, like, grew a femur today like <laughs> how does how does that just, like how does that just happen when you think about like the miracle of life and i don't want to get all like weirdly like pregnancy is so beautiful like I'm it's okay to, this I'm, is not a trying, safe I'm not place. trying to get all into that but like this is a safe place but there is something like just incredibly supernatural right. and incredibly beautiful about just the fact that like our my daughter grew eyeballs which in, is in my wife's stomach. Yeah, which like is something because, and we take for, we take that for granted. Right. It's right. like an everyday occurrence. It's like normal. Yeah. But no, that's really not normal. A human grew a whole nother human, human inside the brain developed, lungs learned how to operate. Yes. Like it's just nuts, you know. And I just remember holding, like holding her for the first time in the hospital room, and just being like, so crazy, like so crazy that you just came out of Danny and you're healthy and you're breathing and right. you're crying and all that stuff. Then we didn't sleep for two days, and then I was like. I, I'm not cut out for this, uh, <laughs> but that's a whole nother story. We did it. We did have a moment. Um, uh, like we were actually just telling friends of ours this last night, I think our second night in the hospital. So we had gone in on a Tuesday night cause Danny was, uh, like a week past due on okay. her delivery date. So we had gone in to be induced 
um, found out she was actually already in active labor. This was on a Tuesday evening. So they didn't have to induce or anything like that. She just labored and like progressed naturally, but then was up all night Tuesday, uh, like laboring, delivered Lennon early Wednesday morning, I think at like 11, 13 a.m. or something like that. The first night just didn't sleep much, right? The, the, you're trying to figure out how to feed and how to nurse right. and, and Danny's in a ton of pain and still, he, you know, all of that type stuff. So we had to stay one extra night in the hospital just because of some medical stuff. And I remember the second night, you know, we're going on 60, 70-ish hours with very little to no sleep. Right. And at like one in the morning, we could not get Lennon to go to sleep. And I was like, this was this was the worst decision we've made. Like, <laughs> we, we literally had a moment where we were like, our life was good. Did we really like, think about this? What, is, yeah. what did we do? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not cut out for this. I don't have the patience for this. I can't get this child to sleep. I'm clearly a failure as a father already, and I'm only 36 hours into it. I can't do this. I'm going home. Send her back. But then it got better after that. When did it, when did it first hit you? Hey, I'm a father now. What was that first moment of, no, this is real. I'm really a father now. I think taking her home. You know, like when you walk out of the hospital, like security. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, cause you're in the hospital, everybody's all around you. You know, right. nurses coming in and out and checking on you, and then all of a sudden you get checked out, and you're like, "Wait, you're just letting me like take this thing home?" Yo, trust me with this. Like, I'm right. put, I'm putting this thing in my car. <laughs> I hope I got her strapped in the car seat, okay? This is it. I'm gonna drive 26 miles an hour on 45 on the way. Like, we went back roads on the way home. I didn't go to the interstate. Right. Um, you know, 10 and two under the speed limit. It's probably the only time I've done that since I had my. Driver's li- or driver's permit. Um, I think that was the moment where I was like, okay. Like once, once you get home and you're like in your house with your child for the first time, right. I feel like that's when it's like, okay, I'm a parent. This is real. I love it. I am. Um, once again, my story is similar to, to Jarvis's when it comes to, um, I think we've shared with the family a, a lot. You know, I, I'm the father of four, but we are a blended family. So my three sons are not biologically mine. Um, my daughter's biologically mine, but I have four kids. So with, with my daughter, when she was born, I wasn't there when she was born. So I'm, I met her mother. I was young. I was, I think, 18 at the time when I met her mother. I lied to her mother, told her I was older than I was because she was older than me. <laughs> so, of course, you know, any relationship. How long did it take before she figured that out? Not until after she was pregnant. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. After she was pregnant, she found out, hey, I lied to you about my age. So it didn't, the relationship didn't start on the right footing. Um, and we spoke to this on another episode. But, and so, like, we met in like August um, of that year. And by like October, November, she's pregnant. Um, so, and I'm flipping out at this point. Crazy. I don't know. I, I don't know her. She doesn't know me. I'm about to be a father. It's like, nah. And then, of course, at that point, everything changes. So her attitude towards me changes. My attitude towards her changes. And then at that point, we become very combative. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where I just left. So I just packed up. I left, I left the state. I moved to Florida. And it's like, I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with this. I don't even know if it's my kid. I'm, I'm out. Right. So I stay in Florida. And this time she's about, when I left, I think she was maybe three or four months pregnant when, when I left. So I stayed away, no contact. Um, the rest of the time goes away. I get a random phone call. You have a kid. Your kid is born. Are you at least going to come see her? She's here. 
I'm like, no. I, don't. I said some words that you don't really say in a Christian setting. <laughs> Uncle DeFone moved on my life. Um, but something in me is like, yo, I, I have to know. You know, because I got that feeling. You know, I'm telling myself this. I'm telling myself hoping this is not your kid. It's not your kid. It's not because I'm like you. Yo, my life is over at this point. Right. I'm a kid. I have no idea what to do with this thing. So I was like, no, I got to go. So I come back, come back to Charlotte. We set it up. Go to my old job. You you met your daughter in a in a mall. I met my daughter at Laser Quest, the laser tag facility is where I met my daughter. So she brings her in. I look at her, and I promise you, it's really like the Lion King moment when they first held Simba up. That's how I did. I held her up and looked at her, and like my father with me, when he looks at me, he sees himself. When I looked at my daughter, I saw me, because she is the spitting image of me. And it's like she automatically knew who I was because the moment she looked at me, she just started smiling and she lit up. Mm. And I was done at that point. Best feeling in the world, man. It was. It was truly the best feeling in the world because at that point, I have this human life looking at me. She doesn't care that I'm flawed. She doesn't care who I am. She doesn't care what I've accomplished. The only thing she cares about is that I'm her dad, that I'm her father. And that was the best feeling in the world. And I would love, like you, I would love to say at that point, everything was storybook and Disney. Right. Nah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Mm. Yeah. it wasn't. For the next, okay, she was three, she was two months at that time. She's 24 now. So for the next 19 years, all we did, with me and her mother, we didn't get along. We fought. It took everything I could just to be a part of her life. But I made a, con- a conscious decision at that time, no matter what, that I was going to be a part of her life. Worth it. Which it, Chris, that's the best thing you said because it is. Yeah. Which leads me into my next topic. I want to talk about you guys with because we talked about early because, like you said, Chris, you grew up with the with the strict military dad, but he was there. Jarvis, you grew up with a dad who partially was there, right? But he was there, he was there in body, but not in spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan, you grew up with it. You grew up with that 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 um all American type family, you know. Yeah. The, you know, that, that dad who's an educator, he's there, he's, you know, he's there in your life. I grew up with a father who decided he wanted to run the street. But we all end up dads, so I want to know, Chris, starting with you, what did you, from your upbringing, what did you take from your dad to, to apply to being a dad, and what did you change, if that question makes sense? Uh, definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing was just um, a conscious thing my dad always taught me was be a man of your word. Right. If you say you're going to do something, if you say that you're responsible for something, if you say that you're going to handle something, you do that no matter what it takes. Because, um, you know, both him and my mom always taught me your name is like the most precious thing you have. Right. Because if, mm-hmm. you, if you run out of money, if you run out of anything that we think of that's tangible that we need, if you've got a solid name, people will always respect that. People will make a way. People will do something for you. Um, it'll it'll kind of pave a way for you itself. Right. So my thing was always just standing by that, um, just just by that belief that like I I have to be responsible for this. So when my kids came into play, it was like there was no doubt. Like you guys said, when you first look at them, they look back at you, and it's like I'm responsible for what happens with this human being for the rest of their life until I stop breathing. Oh yeah, and it's like that's one of those things I just absolutely took pride in um you know another thing I watched how my dad treated my mom okay and that had a big play on how I treat my wife how I treat my daughters so that they know what to look forward to um because because there's so many perceptions I mean we had it back then when we were growing up but you think about now 
kids have access to everything. They got the entire world in their hands. No matter, no matter how much me. we think yeah. we restricted and keep them from it, there is some loophole, there's some wormhole. They find they a way. Can, they can find a way. Yeah. So it's one of those things where the best example, and you guys can contest to this, the best example is what they have in front of them. Right. Mm. Um, so I just take my pride in like being that example for them. And and believe it or not, I'm not perfect. Um, you know, but it's just one of those things where I try to be with them. Right. Um, just so that they just have that piece of me. And and I always think about like my notion is when my girls grow up, what will they say about dad? And that's the that's the image I'm trying to paint right now is like I'm constantly in everything I do, every step I take. I'm like, I just want to know that they're going to remember this and they'll, it'll stick with them and they'll, they'll maybe teach it to their kids if they have a son or whatever it may be. Um, so just, I mean, constantly with my, my dad, it was just, uh, he was, he led by example. He gave a lot of, a lot of tools. Um, I never saw him not complete something. Right. Um, and so it's just one of those things where, and, and obviously he handled, um, my parenting situation was different than theirs because my dad was constantly, he did about four wars. So he was oh, wow. constantly wow. active, like in, I mean, nine 11, all those different ones, he was gone for the core part of those okay. wars. And so granted my dad was there, there were some absences just because of his dedication to the country. Um, and so it was one of those things where I'm here for my girls, like, I'm physically present, right. so I don't take that for granted. And um, I have friends who similar situation to you guys had kids early. I actually watch what they did, what they went through. Right. So I feel like all my life I was just pulling in these pieces and just kind of storing them and storing them. And and whether we realize it or not, like you start to, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you see something or you do something and it instantly takes you back to oh, yeah. Something that you've seen before, yes, definitely. and so um, I've just learned a revolving concept of just taking all the pieces that I've learned and just applying that um, into fatherhood, and just hoping that you know I just continue the best I can be for them. And one thing I can honestly say that I also try to do, and I hope um, for the people that hear that know me, um, I try to be example to other people's kids. I try not to think about this dad concept as just my girls. Right. Um, one thing yeah. about my dad. My friends talk about my dad like they were his dad. He welcomed them in our home. He Takes made a village. sure they ate. It's great. He made sure if they got into trouble, he was there for them like he was there to dad. Right. So I can honestly say that about my dad. He was there for my friends because he saw that they were important to me. And, you know, he didn't want to just say, okay, well, I'm just responsible for my child. Or, right. You know, so um, that's another thing. I just tried to be an example because – you know, your kids will go to somebody else's house and, and talk about what you do as parents. Yeah, they do. Um, so you want to make sure all around that you just have this uh, this image and you have this uh, portrayal of yourself of being this actual fatherly figure. So, What do you do different? Um, For me, I just think that uh, it sounds weird, but just putting them first and, and not over my wife, but just like um, there's there's a lot of and I don't want to stereotype dads, but there's a lot of dads that'll come home. And if you're tired, you think about, I need to get rest. I'm ready to rest. But I mean, I see nights where I can come home and be on E, but my girls are going to get what I always give. Gotcha. Um, So it's one of those things. And and like I said, I came up with a concept to give them their individual time. Yeah. Touch on that. So you you mentioned um, it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So not to take a, take a lot of time. Take as much time as you need. Yeah. Yeah. But we, um, 
I was getting to this point where my girls the ages they are now, like I know they love being with me together as a unit, but I was like, you could feel them like niching off of me, like piece by piece, like somebody needs attention for one thing, somebody right. needs attention for another thing. So um, I just thought about it and I thought about it and their bedtime um, is a little different because of gymnastics, which we'll get into that. Um, but their bedtime is 1030. So I was like, I've got to find a way to give them some individual time. And so my alarm went off for 10 o'clock one night and I'm like, all right, so this is what I'm going to do. That number stuck with me. And I'm like, I'm going to give my daughters 10 minutes uninterrupted. So we have right. a separate room upstairs. I go in there. I close the door. I cut off my cell phone. I don't even take it in there. I give the girls like a beanbag chair or uh -huh. they can find a comfortable spot to lay out on the couch. It's almost like therapy. Right. And I give them 10 minutes. We can talk about anything. There's no judgment. Even if they did something wrong, they can't go on punishment. Right. It's just a simple therapy. It's you and dad, and you can tell me what's going on. I love what's that. Going on I with actually love that concept. What's going on with you in your life? What's going on at practice? What's going on in the house? It, right. Is there something going on that I just don't see? Are you not getting something from me? So I always start off with, you know, well, tell me what's going on. And then at the end, it's always, is there anything I can do better right now? Um, and so when I lean on that question and when I did it this way, the most interesting thing I found out, and I know a lot of people say that kids won't talk a lot, but every time we would get to an end of a session, they were not ready to quit. <laughs> mm. So I had to be firm on it. I would tell Alexa, hey, set a 10 minute timer. Alexa goes off so they know, hey, when it's when it's over, it's over. Right. And the good thing about them not wanting to quit is you knew they'd have something for next week. And so there's four of them, and everybody got a night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we're all off on the weekend. Okay. So it's like everybody got their night, and they just got to the point where they started asking for a notebook, and they wanted to write stuff about, like, what they were going to talk about next. So it was just that engagement, and it's like there's no sibling to interrupt right. their time. Mm -hmm. There's not that parent thing. We all do it where we fall in and looking in our phone. It's like, hey, this is 10 minutes of me and you and I just, me and just you. sitting here and we can talk about anything. If you want to talk about ice cream or you want to talk about virtual school or you want to talk about friends or just something you saw. Right. And hey, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. Can you explain this to me? Or is this something that I should know about yet? So it's just one of those things where I just learned so much from those. I mean, it was small. It came along during the pandemic. Um, I think I found a way to turn it into something to to push out the people, but it was just the thing that uh, I really learned a lot. You know, you think you know a lot about your children, but you learn a lot when you kind of yeah. give them give them that moment. That's amazing because that's something, and I don't want to under or oversimplify oversimplify what you just said because that's amazing. What you've done for your girls, mm -hmm. that's something that really. They'll be with their kids. That's something this, it's going to be a family tradition because it's something that they're going to implement with their kids and they're going to be doing. And, and when they're in their thirties and they're going to be sitting down with their friends talking about me and my dad did this yeah. and my dad carved out. No, I was going to say yeah. in addition to that, as parents, we have such a huge responsibility to teach our children how to relate to the father, the heavenly father. Yes. And when you That's give great. your children space like that, Mm -hmm. To be honest, no judgment, no fear. I can just open up and talk to you. They relate to the Heavenly Father better. When they get to their prayer life, they'll be able to pray more oh, honestly yeah. with God. Oh, yeah. They'll be able to open up more, more um, 
easily. And so many times our parents have impacted the way that we see our heavenly father. Definitely. Exactly. And so it, it, that's so key in, in how you, how you'll help them to just even relate to the father because we're their first example of father for them. Yep. We're representing our right. heavenly father to our children. So a lot of my barriers with, when I first began my walk in Christianity were due to my father. Right. You know, I was saved, but I was still lying because I was just trying not to get in trouble because my father was so volatile. Right. I had to learn that the heavenly father is not looking to jump out on me and be like, ah, yeah. gotcha. It's not a setup. Yeah. It's yeah. not a setup. Yeah, it's not a setup so at all. So I can, I can be vulnerable with him. So, no, man, that's 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 yeah. incredible. And, and leaning on that, Jarvis, um, that was another thing that, and I don't think our parents don't intentionally, well, at least mine didn't intentionally not teach us this, but the biggest thing on top of how much my parents love God that I learned now and I teach my girls is you can just talk to God about anything. Like, yeah. So they are so comfortable now with understanding, you know, a lot of people get caught up in like, you, you need to be in church. You got to be on your hands and knees, you know, and, and they just learn that, you know, I can talk to God like he's my friend. Yeah. Like yeah. I can talk to him anywhere, anytime, like he's sitting beside me about anything. And and that really rolled out from just when I was teaching them how to pray and talking about God. And definitely when we, we walked in the elevation and got e-groups and all these different things, um, you know, even with Kaylee, we learned a process and her coaches picked up. Like I always would say a prayer for her before she have her meet, right. no matter what. Mm. It's like, hey, run over here to me real quick. Let's do this. And her coaches, one meet we got there and they were starting a little early. Right. But her coach sent her back to me because she knew that her concept was like, hey, say that this prayer has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. This right. has to be done. Love it. And so it's just, I think that that's the biggest thing is I taught them that they can talk to him anywhere, anytime. It doesn't have to be this formal, like, he just wants to know that you're treating him like, hey, you're my first thought. Yeah. You're yeah my you taught it and you exemplified it. Yeah. That's the that's the next step. Like, we learn a lot through, through you know, going to church and, and hearing messages and you teaching it. Yeah. But then you also showed it. Yeah. You gave them the example of it. And they're going to remember that. It's that practical application yeah. of it. It's yeah. that actual that actual walk, that faith walk. It's actually that everything God does, it's about showing us. You know, yeah, God says a lot. God's word is amazing. But it's always he's showing. Yeah. He's always showing his love. He's always showing he's open. He's always showing that he's there. And Jarvis, you touched on it perfectly because whether we want to admit it or not, as fathers, we have that responsibility and that duty to show the love of Christ how we raise our kids. Yes. And because, like you said, if if we're if we're mean, if if we're always combative, if we're always agitated, if we're always attacking then they start to think that's what the Heavenly Father is. Yes. Because there's no way that that somebody I can't see would be any different than this person who supposedly loved me and brought me into this world, so how right. could they be different? Right. So if, if my own dad is mean, if my own dad is not there, if my own dad is a certain way, how is it possible that this person that I don't see, how can they love? So you hit it right on the head. I want to, before I'm going to go to you, Jarvis, but before I do, I want to go to Jordan. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I want to know. I want to know. So what did you what did you learn from your dad? And what are you doing different from your dad? Um, So I think I think the thing I learned from my dad was presence. Um, My dad was just so consistent and diligent with like, 
even even like when it would annoy me when I was like 14 years old. Right. And I was like, Dad, I don't want to. I don't want to stink and hang out with you. Like, leave me alone. But it was like, Hey, do you want to like you want to go play catch in the backyard? Do you want to like you want to go play tennis? Do you want to like? My dad was just like always, always seeking to spend time with me. Uh, even to the point of, like I said, like when I was a teenager and it would kind of annoy me, right. you know, but that's the thing I remember. The thing I remember is playing, you know, wiffle ball for hours in the, in the backyard with my brother and my dad. You know, I remember him. I remember him not, not even knowing how to play soccer. I grew up playing soccer my whole life. Uh, my dad was not a soccer player, but he would take me to the soccer field and just be the rebounder or just chase the ball down for me because, you know, he wanted to go spend time with me. Right. Uh, teaching me how to play golf, do like whatever it was, taught me how to drive, you know. Um, there was something powerful about like, I knew my dad wanted to be with me and I knew my dad wanted to spend time with me. Right. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that like already I'm trying to do with Lennon of like, man, I love just being with her. You know, she doesn't know enough right now at 10 months, but like, man, I'll sit down there on the floor with her and she can crawl around and do whatever, but I'm going to be there right? just cause I like being with her. You know, if it's driving her in the car. She might fuss and make me stress for a minute, but I like driving her because <laughs> right. I'm just I'm just with her and I'm there. Um, I wasn't intentionally trying to like uh, do alliteration, but I think the the breakdown, even as we were talking about um, the things that um, our fathers show us, shape us so much about the image of God. Right. I think the thing I would be trying to do differently would be performance. Okay. Um, so if you were to like break it down, what I learned is presence. What I'm trying to do differently is performance is because, uh, my dad is academic. My dad is very smart. Uh, my dad was an athlete all through high school. As a result, he had certain expectations for me Okay, and it was good. Um, and a lot of his, uh, desire for me to achieve and do well, you know, led me to be successful and have initiative and have drive. Right. So I'm not trying to demonize it or, or be so like, low level to not think that like some of the stuff that he put in me is good stuff too. Um, but there was always this element of like, man, I could do something really well and be really proud of it. And it felt like there was something he was kind of still disappointed in. And I didn't really always know what I'd make a 93 on the test and he wouldn't say good job. He'd be like, well, what'd you miss? Yeah. Oh, I got an A. Come on, dad. You know? So I feel like it's a little bit of that performance thing. And then that shaped my view of God, right? Because for a long time, it was like, no, God only loves me if I read my Bible X number of days a week, right. if I'm in right. church every Sunday, if I do all of the right things and I check all, and it's like, no, it's like, it's actually more tied to the presence thing. I'm like, God just wants to be right. with me. Yeah, just wants, wants to be, to be with involved me. in my life. So it's right. like they almost work, uh, you know, work in tandem and work kind of against one another. But I think the thing I'm trying to like, and again, I, Lennon isn't old enough to where I'm really trying to like not instill a performance mentality in her, but really trying to be cognitive of even the way I uh, talk to her or even the way I shape expectations in my mind for her. It's like, I don't want it to be tied to performance thing. Right. I want her, her self-worth to come from just some internal grounding in who she is as a woman and as a daughter of God and as Danny and Jordan's daughter and that uh, no academic performance, no athletic performance, no whatever that she achieves is going to change something about the way I feel or or anybody else. And I think if I can ground her self worth in something other than performance related stuff, I think I think we'll be in a good place. Hopefully, love that. Jarvis, my friend. So, what did you learn, and what do you do different? Well, I'll say. 
you can learn a lot of what not to do. Right. And I learned a lot of what not to do. One of the things that I do take that I, I appreciate from my father is that he gave us a lot of experiences. So, I mean, you know, he we went to operas, we went to play. So, again, he was a great, an amazing man, right. not a great father. Okay. Um, just because, you know, once it was on the chase, fathering was not the, the thing. Right. But, you know, he took us to state parks. And so we have, you know, I have all of these, like, random, non they're just unique experiences that I have that my friends didn't have these experiences because I grew up in poor neighborhood and, you know, we were going to plays like there's no black kids. They're not going to the opera. Yeah, not doing that. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not typically what. No, the, that's yeah. not. So he gave us, he did give us him and my mother. They gave us wonderful experiences. They allowed us to just, uh, you know, go to tennis matches, like just different things that just to allow us to see that life could be different, keep an open mind. Right. And so I definitely appreciate that. And, and it has allowed me to have an open mind and be comfortable in my skin in, in, in any environment. Um, you know, cause most of the spaces that we were going into, we were the only black people in the, in the whole space. Right. And you know, that can be challenging, you know, you know, when you look around and you don't see a, a familiar face, um, but when you, when you've experienced that, you know you got that experience at ten years old. You're the you know the only black family at a tennis match, and there's just like you know it's a bunch of white folks, and right. everybody's just having a good time. You can be comfortable comfortable with who you are. So I definitely take that. A lot of the other things were you know just what not to do. Um, but the thing that I, I try to do differently or try to be really intentional about is preparing my children to be adults, and okay. I felt like. I was not prepared right. to be on my own, to, to, to be a man. I, I remember on uh, one occasion, I was probably, probably about 17 at this point. And, you know, um, I have this, I have this thing where I think that all men are attracted to men. Sometimes that gets perverted in, in men, you know, and you can, you can, uh, take it down a, a sexual path. Right. But we're all attracted to men because we're trying to understand how to be a man. Right. You're young. You're, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're like, you're just like, you know, is this the man I want to be? Is this the man I want to yeah. be? And, and, and if you have a really good father, he is that example for you. And then he's allowing you to see other men that you can relate to. Right. And kind of mold yourself after. Because we all should be learning from each other. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. So we all have this attraction to men. And so when I was young, I was like 17. I asked my father, I said, you know, how do I know that I'm a man? And the look in his eyes was like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Wow. And my mother seen it, and she started try, trying to scramble for, for, to give me an answer. Right. But we were having this conversation he was like, oh, crap, I don't know. And I was like, oh, crap, if he don't know, then how am I going to How am I ever going to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she was just want, 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 want in the background. She was trying to save the moment. Right. But from that, you know, I, I'm, I'm very intentional about, you know, teaching my children how to think, you know, how to be problem solvers. Right. How to add value when they walk into a room and just – Really, just how how to how to be a good 
person and how to, you know, be an adult. And so I'm constantly teaching them how to, you know, I, I, I was intentional about at 12, I'm starting to teach my sons how to be men. I don't want to wait till they're 18 and say, now I'm going to teach you how to be a man. Yes. Right. Like yes. I'm, yes. I'm starting at 12. So you're yeah. practiced up by the time you're 18. Oh, yeah. So you're fortified by that time. Yeah. You, yeah. you ready. Yep. You know, you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes because you're still developing who you are, your path and everything. But you, you already have thought processes. Right. And so that's kind of like, you know, I, I, it was a from what not to do um, kind of perspective. But uh, also try to give my children experiences and allow them to experience different things and let them be who they are and not right. try to force, um, you know, my preferences on them. Like my youngest son is like not athletic. <laughs> He's very much a creative um, but I let him do that. Yeah. And, you know, he did this play this year called the Cabaret. Okay. Very provocative play for a high school. Right. High school I'm theater. familiar with Cabaret, yeah. <laughs> and so, but um, allowing him to be who he is and not, you know, trying to put clamps on who he is, but more so trying to guide who he is. Right. Whereas with my yeah. daughter, a little younger, got her at, you know, when she was, when she was five, I got custody of her. I very much tried to mold her into what was convenient for me. Right. Instead of really getting to understand, just really getting her and trying to get to know her instead of like getting to know who she is so I could guide her into who she is and who God made her to be. It was like, no, I need you to conform to what I'm used to. Make my life easier. what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Right. So it could be convenient for me. So just, you know, I've changed even my own perspectives over the years. Um, and, and everything changed with Christ, you know. I got saved 13 years ago, and um, the person that I am, like, I, I have two different lives. It's pre- right. and post-Christ mm. versions of myself. Okay. Um, I'm going to put a question out here before I answer it. I want you guys thinking about it. So the, the next question I need you guys to answer is, as a father, what's been your most scariest moment as a father? So I'm going to answer my question first and then put that out there to you guys. So as far as what did I learn from my father and what do I do different? So once again, Jarvis, you and I <laughs> line up pretty much perfectly. For me, it was always what not to do. Mm. So everything when it comes to me being a father, it's because I do the opposite of everything my father did. Mm. Um, but the one thing I can always say that he did teach me, my father taught me my work ethic. I'm, not, I'm never going to be the smartest in the room. I'm never going to be the most capable in the room but no one would ever outwork me in a room. I will always be the hardest worker no matter what I do, whether I'm volunteering, whether I'm getting paid, whether I, nobody's ever going to outwork me. And I get that from my father because my father, the type of man he is, he was, he's, he's very street smart is what my father is. He has a lot of common sense, not necessarily book smarts, but he has a lot of common sense. So my father is, when it comes to, he's, he can build, uh, he, literally by himself, he can build a house. That's how he is. He's very good at what he does. But my father didn't learn how to read until much, much later in life. He was in his late teens, early 20s, before my father could even actually read. Wow. But he, but building a house, I mean, he can do it all. He's always been able to do that. So, And he's always, no matter what situation he's been in, on jobs, because the few times I did spend with him as a child, he would like take me to his job sites. We'd hang out there because typically he was always working. And the one thing I always I noticed, whether he was the, the foreman, the boss, whatever, none of his workers ever outworked him. He was always the hardest working man on the job site. And that's something that I took from him, that your work ethic has to be good. 
Because as a man, the Bible says man don't work, don't eat. So you have to have that work ethic. So that's the one thing I took from him. And then the one thing I changed is, and Jordan, you touched on it, is presence. I always said that I will always, no matter what, I will always be present in my kid's life. No matter what, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether they're on the right track, on the wrong track, no matter what's going on with them, I will always, they will, it would never be a time where they'd be able to say that my dad wasn't there. That no matter what I went through, they would never be able to say, well, my dad walked away or my dad turned my back or I got in trouble and my dad wasn't there. They'll never be able to say that because I always wanted to make sure no matter what, because like you, Chris, because, you know, your daughter's in gymnastics. My youngest son, he was a dancer growing up. So I spent all my time at at conventions and competitions. I didn't. So basically from the time he was like 13 to like 16, like I had no vacation time because everything was a competition. We was traveling. But in which I take pride in, but also hurt in is that like I was one of the only fathers there. Mm. You know, like every, I mean, the auditorium full, you could literally pick out all the men in like a 10,000 room seat because mm. it was all just the mothers. But my son always knew that every competition, every rehearsal, no matter what, if I'm on that stage, I can look out and see my dad. Yeah. And that was something I always took pride in. So that, for me, that's one of it. But, but I'm curious. So I'm going to start with you, new uh, father. Yeah. I'm, uh, ours is, ours is actually tied to a medical thing. Um, one, I have like, I just want to like turn this recording off and ask like 17 questions and I don't want to like take over as the host, but there's been so many like little things that I want to just like, well, oh, come on, man. no, we no, still no, got no. time. You want me to answer the question or you want me to ask? I want you I to, I don't want to, I don't want to divert. Here's what we're going to do because you're going to answer the question and then you're going to take it wherever you want so to let take me, it. Let me just throw the thought out there and then I'll answer the question. We can see where it goes. But you were talking about like, how do I, how do I not shape, uh, you know, my kids to like fit a certain mold. And there's this element of things, and like Danny and I have already been like joking around about it because she's like, you can't force Lennon to like play sports. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> I know, but like, like she's gonna play, she's gonna play sports, okay? She's gonna be athletic. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But like, there's this, there's this element of like trying to figure out how, as a parent, do you not be selfish, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, and maybe that's, maybe I'm just answering it as I ask it because, like, fundamentally, I think parenting boils down to like. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Selflessness. Right. You know, it's that element of like, I get home from work, I'm on E, I, I want to kick up my feet and play Xbox, put on the TV, whatever, but I have to be selfless and, and dig deep to find something to continue to give. You know, there's this selfish part of me that's like, no, I want Lennon to be, you know, the tri-sport athlete and da 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 But I'm like, oh man, maybe that's not her path though. Maybe that's not what she's going to do. How do I not selfishly conform the child to be this thing because I want her to be like me. I want her to enjoy the things I do. Right. And how do I balance that with like allowing her to be her own self? And well, let's, let's talk about it. I got no problem with it. Let's talk Absolutely. about that. Cause, and then I'll come back to the dangerous thing or uh, scariest moment. Cause I got, I got a scary moment. That works for me. That. So I'm going to throw it out to you guys first. So, so how did, as a parent, as a father, how do you not be selfish? Well, that's a that's a much bigger question. Than what <laughs> <Yeah. you just laughs> asked. I mean, that's that's the root of it, though. Yeah, that's, right? that's the root of it. Like, that's like, the root. How do you not be selfish? Um, for me, I just had to understand that at the end of the day, I've walked my path. I'm walking my path. Right. They get their own journey, and what I don't want to do is put them in a position to where they won't let me have influence. Right. And if I try to control them, 
if I try to manipulate them, then it when they get to the point where they don't have to give me influence, then they won't. They won't. That's good. And I want I want my children to be healthy, high character, high value people. Right. More than I want them to do a thing. Like so if if whatever your thing is, that's fine. But are you a high value, high character person regardless of what your thing is? Right. So I, I love sports and I want my youngest son to play sports. But I want you to be a high character person more than I want that. And so I have to decide what the priority is. You know, is it, is it more important for me to have you do what I love or is it more important for me to have you be the type of person that can build a, the next generation of legacy like Chris is doing like his father high value raised him. Now he's, he gets to take that to a new level. Right. And so, you know, that's what's most important it's great. in my perspective. What about you, Chris? Um, same thing here because, I, I, you know, we had that thing in common about, you know, you having to travel because of the competitions. And right. I think it's all in perspective because, you know, obviously my thing was I, I didn't think four girls, right? Like I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I, I, guy in me, so know, I play go. sports, <laughs> so I'm going to have a boy. We're going right. to continue this legacy. And you kind of get these things that you're thinking about, but not in a certain – I think it's kind of God's way of like saying, all right, I'm still in control of this. Like you got mm-hmm. a concept, but I'm going to put my tweak on it. And um, so like same thing, like my oldest was in gymnastics. But because of our open relationship, you know, she was able to tell me and my wife, hey, I know they're good at it. You know, Kaylee's good at it. But my thing is something else. Okay. So Cameron is amazing at baking. She's amazing at uh, cooking. Right. So we had to allow her to take that path because we could have said, hey, we already spent all day here at the gym. You're just going to stay here. You're just going to join. Most parents are going to do what's convenient. Right. But, you know, first of all, you want to have your kids be open enough that they'll come and tell you how they feel and what they feel they're inspired by and then you got to be devoted enough to kind of point them into that direction so you know she told us that and then the younger two they're so competitive and they were so into what Kaylee was doing they're now following her Mm -hmm. and they're all moving up in level so it's one of those things where it's perspective and then you know you could be that parent you could say all these competitions all the time this traveling da 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 but we started turning every competition every trip into a family trip. Right. So we stay an extra day or two. That way we could go do something, explore something. Like like you said, Jarvis, be exposed to whatever's yep. going on in that city. Right. A park, a landmark, a beach, um, an event going on. So we started just changing the perspective of it, saying like, you know, we're going to, every city we go to, we're going to make it a trip. And, and you start realizing, okay, I take time off of these competitions, these events, Let's not rush it and go and come right back. Let's make it family time. Right. Because you don't realize how much, like the pandemic for us made us realize how much we weren't sitting down together as a family. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them would mm-hmm. get home earlier, eat, and then we come in after because we get out later and it was a broken routine. So right. now when we were able to sit down together, um, I think that's when it changed perspective. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's just having them be open enough to, you know, say what they are interested in. The exposure is good, kind of giving them what we like, but then we just have to give them the opportunity to see if they take to it, they grasp it, or if they're 
they're looking into something else. Right. So um, it, it really, honestly, I've just learned more than anything is perspective. It's like we, we can we can make it be one thing or you can make the best out of it. Right. And so it's your choice as as a dad, as a head of the household, as that figure to say, you know, how do I want this to play out? And also understanding that, yes, biologically, the child is 50 percent yours. It's 50 percent your wife's to make the 100 percent. But the child actually is not yours. Mm. And when you understand that your child is actually not yours, your child was a gift from God, that God used you as the vessel to bring this life into the world. But God had a purpose for that child the moment that child was birthed into the world. So as parents, our job is not to make this kid into something. Our job is to guide this child into the way that God wants this child to To be. be. So and good. once we understand that, yes, we love them, we adore them, they're, they, most of the time they look like us, they may have some traits of ours, but at the end of the day, they're actually not ours. Mm. And our job is to help them figure out why did God put this life on this earth. Yeah. And if we change our focus to not more, more so as what we want for them, but what does God want for them? Yeah. Right. Why, did God, why did God trust me enough to give me this little girl? Why did God trust me enough to put these girls into my life? Why did God trust me enough to put these four kids into my life? And once we focus more on that, for me, the the selfishness kind of dies because yeah, of course I wanted my sons to play sports. My middle son is built like an NFL linebacker. He could care less about running. (laughs) We took him in middle school. We put him, because he was big. So he was one of those, the coach approached him, yo, you need to play sports. We put him on the team. 30 minutes later, we get a phone call from the same coach, come get your kid. Yep. This ain't for him. Yep. Yeah, but because it, it wasn't, and I could have been upset about it, I could have, but that's not the road he was supposed to take. So to go back to your question, how do you, as a parent, how do you not be selfish? It's you realize that there's something bigger for this child than you. So good. And your job is to guide. That's one thing for Ange and I, we, we learned a long time ago that as our kid grows, our role changes because of course, when they, when they first come into the world, they need everything from us. We're the nurturers, we're the, we're the, you know, we're the foundation, but as they grow, our role changes. Like now, yeah, we're advisors for our kids at this point because we have all our youngest is 24. We're advisors. You know, they come to us, they tell us what the issue is. We give them our advice. They go figure it out. You know, you just, you just got to understand that as you grow, the role changes. Um, before we get back into, because one thing you talked about, Chris, I'm, and a question came to mind, I'm curious. You may not have thought about this, but because you said the thing about name and legacy. Yeah. In all fairness, your name goes away once your daughters get married, because typically you have that son that keeps the name going. Yes. As of now, unless you and your wife decide to have another kid. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. You know, um, that that with you, that kind of stops. How do you feel about that? Is, so, is that even something that ever crossed your mind? Um, It has. And uh, it made me more nervous. My brother's older, and his first child was a girl. So I'm like, we're doing, not in a bad way, but we're doomed at this point. <laughs> right. I get, no, I get he, it. He finally had a son. So I'm like, we got one boy. To carry the name on like that's and I don't know, man, you have these hopes that it sounds funny. And, and I mean, I'm just like I'm trying to be so much of a dad that my girls are like, 
when I get married, my name's just gonna have to be hyphenated. Like it's gonna have to be my last <laughs> name hyphenated you and your last name. So that sounds funny. We gonna but keep this king name that going. Much of a dad that they're like, hey, my dad didn't have boys and he was there for us, so I gotta take this with me. So right. that, I'm gonna adopt that mantra. Yeah, yeah. Better hyphenate. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> it's gotta be hyphenated. You know, I don't want them to be like, oh no, I'm not gonna change my last name. But hey, we we gotta put this hyphenation in there, like. That's that's my that's my goal. It Let's sounds go. funny. It sounds you know like weird, but I'm just like, hey, I'm trying to be that much of a dad that right. they don't want to let that that part go. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect. It makes sense. a lot of sense. But I got a lot of boys, and I'm like, nah, bro, shut that down. <laughs> <laughs> shut that down. Yes. But I am curious. I do want to know. So, what has been so? Start with the new father. What is, as a dad, what's been your most scariest moment so, so far? So scariest moment was, uh, again, like, I'm just tr- over here trying to get the cheat code to, to parenting and fatherhood. So thank you for your wisdom and perspective. Uh, mine so far was just a medical thing. Uh, September 20th of last year, she was, uh, what is that? Born end of July, almost three months, so two and a half months old. I had gotten home from church on a Sunday afternoon. Um and she was actually asleep on our bed in the master bedroom. Danny was kind of like laying down next to her. And like out of nowhere, uh, Lennon like starts turning blue in her sleep. Oh, wow. And ends up like spitting up like from dead asleep to like vomits everywhere, like sits up coughing, gagging, like had basically been like choking, unable to breathe, like in her sleep. Right. Naturally, that freaked us out. Um so call the doctor, all the doctors are closed, but they were like, Hey, because it's a respiratory issue, like we really think you should probably go to the ER just to make sure that like everything's okay. So load her up, take her down to uh, Levine children's hospital, downtown Charlotte, and basically spent like all day, night doing tests, all that kind of stuff. Um, but like, I think the scariest moment, the saddest moment in all that was, uh, at one point they ran an EKG on her and she's like, you know, two and a half months old, 11 pounds or something like that. And she's like laying on this giant hospital bed with all these like, you know, EKG electrodes hooked up all over her stomach and her chest. And it's like, your heart just breaks in that moment. Cause it's like, and again, it ended up being nothing. It ended up being like, literally, I think she spit up in her sleep and because she was like laying flat, the, like the spit up just got stuck in her throat where she Mm -hmm. couldn't breathe. So it literally came to nothing and, and she's fine, healthy, good. But that moment of like, it's the first moment I felt fear for my daughter, you know, Um, I felt like, and there's absolutely nothing I can do, you know, and you're seeing this like 11 pound little tiny infant. She had an IV thing in her, in her arm. So her hands all clubbed up and like, I was just like so sad. Um, So I think that was probably like the scariest, uh, scariest moment of my early fatherhood journey (laughs) thus far. (laughs) What about you, Jarvis? Man. Parenting is a full contact sport. Um, so I've had a lot of, <laughs> I've had, a, I mean, cause life comes at you fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of scary moments. Um, I, I guess I'd say the scariest moment. And, and unfortunately, because my life is so, uh, I don't know, dramatic. I don't right. know. <laughs> Everything has to have like a little background story. With it. A little context. Yeah, context. Yeah, just a just little context. context like, um, so I was, I was before I married D I was previously married. So, right. uh, my, my first wife, um, we had a daughter. It was our first child together. And, um, 
we went to the to the doctor's office and uh, they were they were like, you know, it doesn't look like her her bladder's moving. And this was a, doing a sonogram. Right. It doesn't look like her bladder's moving, but, you know, we'll give it some time. And so the next day uh, we kind of noticed that the baby wasn't moving. And so she's uh, at this point, she's seven months pregnant. OK. And um, we go to the to the hospital the following day and uh, they decide that, you know, we need to induce labor and, or, or, or no, we need to do a C-section to get the baby out. Like she's in some kind of distress. So they do the C-section baby's born. She's five pounds. Um, she's like the size of my hand and they're saying like, okay, um, we, um, we don't think she's going to make it like we're, we're, we're running tests. She's not really breathing well on her own. And so this is day two, and they're like, y'all need to decide if y'all going to, uh, if it, this is what the doctors, this was his exact words. Right. If it were me, I would take the child off of life support, hold her in my arms, and let her die. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, but I was 20 years old, and I, and I couldn't make that decision. Right. I, I just couldn't make that decision. And so we kept her on life support and Janae lived for five years before she passed away. Um, but um, from that, from that scariest moment of having to make that decision about, do you choose to let her live or, or to take her off of life support? Right. Um, yeah, just like a just a a decision. I hope no parent should have to make. Mm. Um, but it was a selfish decision to to keep her, right? Because um, it you know in deciding not to take her off of of the life support, you know she lived this life of you know so she had a condition called lysencephaly, and basically how I describe it is um, she could sleep for 20 hours. And if she was up for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, too, too much movement, all of her battery drained. So it was like a cell phone that no matter how long you charged it, right. as soon as you took it off the charger, the, the battery just drained back gotcha. down. And, um, so she had, she, she, so she lived for five years with this condition. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it was a it was a challenge. But what she did was she taught us how to love or she taught me how to love okay. um, unconditionally. Right. Because she couldn't she didn't give you hugs back. She didn't say thank you. She never spoke. Um, she never gave you anything for what you did. Everything you did for her, you did it purely out of love. Right. And that taught me how to just love people without any expectations. Wow. Um, so that was, that was, that was probably the scariest moment just having to make that, that decision. And, and, um, part of me wants to say I didn't, uh, do well, but, but, um, just understanding my relationship with my father, like so much has come from that experience, that five-year experience with her. Right. Just really connecting with people without words, um, 
really loving people without needing anything from them. Yeah, like you said, just loving unconditionally, not expecting anything in return. I'm just loving you. Because I choose to love because you. Because I choose to love you. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Chris, what about you, my friend? Uh, don't know if I can go after that. Uh, Jarvis I, has I a tendency of doing that. I know, He's man. Closing um, the show. I don't think I really reached that moment yet. Right. That my girls are old enough. You I mean, we, now, I think so. we have, yeah, I think we have these moments, like you said, when they they go to the hospital for these small things or these procedures. Um, I do say I have my moments when they're all in gymnastics because you never know which vault, which yeah. release of bars, uh, which event can be that one that, you know, we, we watched, I watched half of uh, Kaylee's team deal with injuries this year mm. and, uh, just for her to be blessed and not have any, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, you just kind of lean on God, right? right. Like you just, yes. you just hope that, you know, they have these, they live this perfect life is what you want, but you know, there's going to be those moments. And so I think the biggest thing that's scary for me is just not living up to the expectation of dad in their eyes. Okay. Right. Mm. So it's like, you know, we're constantly competing at what a what a father is, what dad is, but it's like just help me to be the best dad in their eyes, right? Cuz it can be the smallest thing that we're doing. It can be something unintentional that we're doing that we don't even realize is having an impact on them. Right. And it's like whatever that is, let me keep doing that. Let me keep doing the thing that makes me twinkle in their eye, right? So I think the scary thing is just uh Making sure that I can always live up to the hype for them. I um, got you. Yeah, that's that's the that's huge amazing. thing for me. Yeah, I told you, Chris. The reason Chris is here, Chris makes me want to be a better father. Right. My kids are grown, and I still want to be a better hey, father. Man, I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Like, uh, it's it's tough, man. Um, I just I can honestly say I never would have thought four girls in the cards for me. But right, like I said, it's just you know God can lay it out different for you. Are y'all yeah, you gonna keep to trying? Or y'all done? Oh, done. <laughs> Five, six. Let's go. Are you about to say, George? I was gonna say, isn't it? Isn't it like paradoxical in nature that like we spend so much of our time trying to like teach our kids that like you know their performance isn't tied to their worth, and like even if you quit gymnastics, you're amazing. You're like a daughter of God. Da da da. But we're like all out here still trying to compete at the fatherhood game. Oh yeah. To like win the thing, and yeah. it's like every day we're trying to keep we're trying to teach them, but then we're all still like dealing with the same thing and every day. So uh, and, a, and a huge thing, I mean, you guys, I know you probably grasped that concept, is we have to show our children appreciation when they teach us things, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of parents aren't open enough to apologize to their children or to appreciate them when you learn something from your child. You try to do yeah. that reverse thing, like you knew it, but you're trying to, you know. Yeah, it's so a- it's one of those things to be open. It's like especially with my girls, I always tell them how beautiful they are and not just appearance, but like on right. the inside, the person because it's are. like you want them to understand their worth. Like you don't right. want them to meet that guy. And it's like, you know, I'm holding you to my dad's standards. So oh, yeah. if you're not starting there, right. then oh, yeah. yeah. So my it's head. like, you got to set that bar really high and you got to be able to, uh, to, to make yourself, up there for them. It shouldn't be the first time they get flattered. Exactly. Right. That's the one thing. I if I if I didn't do anything else right as a fall, I know I did that right. There because even my daughter now at twenty four, she says it all the time. If you don't do for me what my dad does, bare minimum what my dad does, I don't need you. Yep. Absolutely. And she's quick to say that. Um for me it's a little different as far as as far as my most fearful time as a father. 
So um, I'm blessed not to have been through those particular situations. And Jarvis, I love you. My heart goes out. And thank you for sharing that with the family. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, because there, somebody needed to hear that. Thank you. Um, for me, it was an accumulation of different things. Um, so I think I've ever talked. I know I've never talked about this on the podcast. I don't even know if I ever talked to you gentlemen about it. But throughout my life, I've always, like Jarvis, I've had a very interesting life. Um, very dramatic when it comes to different things. And so for a good stretch of my life, I've dealt with mental illness, um, depression, um, very severe depression to the point that I have, I have been hospitalized a few times throughout my life um, due to it. And the last time I got to a point where I was very depressed and I was contemplating suicide um, to the point that one day I was on my way to work and I decided to just point my truck into the direction of a tree Um, thank God I didn't, I ended up, I took myself to the hospital at that point and checked myself in because I knew, but my biggest fear as a father was I had failed my kids. Mm -hmm. That was one of the biggest things that actually had led me to that point because no matter what I felt like, what I was doing for my kids was not good enough Mm -hmm. because I kept, I kept comparing myself, even though I wasn't living the life of my father, even though I wasn't doing the things. My kids always knew where I was. My wife never had to worry about it. I wasn't out in the street. But I, I had this idea of what I was supposed to be as a father. Mm-hmm. And in my own mind, I wasn't living up to it. And that crushed me. Even though my kids had never said it, my wife had never said it, but kind of like you said earlier, Joy, you know, we're in this competition mm-hmm. to be this father. And I felt like I just wasn't living up. Like, I'm depressed. I'm 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 not emotional. I'm there's no way that what am I there's they would be better without me is to the point I had got to. And for me that was the scariest moment because I had really contemplated not being here mm-hmm. for my kids and I and then Ange came and that was a whole big thing and she mad at me and that's a whole big thing. Well mm-hmm. y'all know my wife, y'all yeah. know how she get. But for me that was the biggest time was like, you know, because I'm like you, Chris, my biggest fear is that when it's all over, I wasn't enough yeah. for them. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only fault. Yeah. How did you get how did you get past that? And like, what is your perspective now that you're on the other side of that? Because so there are a lot of fathers that feel that I was actually having a conversation with a, with a father the other yeah. day who feels that like I'm not enough. I for me, how I got through it was I had to accept the fact that I wasn't. I had to accept the fact that I'm flawed. Mm-hmm. I don't do everything perfect. Uh, I'm going to make mistakes, but like Chris touched on, um, I'm open to admit to my kids. Cause there's been a lot of conversations I've had with my kids that I've had to go back and apologize to right. them yeah. for sure. Um, and, and say, I'm sorry because I did not handle that situation properly. I didn't handle it. Well, um, I, I gave you something that did not belong to you mm-hmm. and having those conversations with my kids and, and freely admitting to them, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying mm-hmm. and, and having that open dialogue with them. And to be honest, it wasn't easy. Um, to be honest, if I'm, if I'm really honest with you guys, if I, as I sit here today, I still struggle with that from time to time okay. of, of saying that I, I should be better. I could be better. And then I have a beautiful wife who reminds me, you know, you all, you are what you need to be at this time. Mm, right. You know, you, and I, I have wonderful kids who remind me and then I have a beautiful grandson who reminds me that I am enough at this time. 
So I would tell any father who's dealing with it, first of all, be honest. Um, it's, it's one thing that we always say on the Crenshaw Corner, grace and space. Mm. Give, yourself, give yourself the space to make the mistake, and then yourself, give yourself the grace to forgive yourself right. once you've made it. So that's, like I said, it's still an everyday struggle, and my kids are grown. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm starting on the next generation. I'm a grandfather of a one-year-old. You know, I'm starting on the next generation. So it's, it's an everyday struggle, but it's, I, I do my best not to get caught there, right. if that makes sense. Right. And then just all of us remembering that we are accepted in the beloved. Yes. yes. We are accepted in the beloved. So there is no more love that God is going to give me if I do better. Like, he loves me as much as he loved Christ right, right now right. as I am. His love won't change. So mm-hmm. just accepting that we're accepted. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. What's the, Jordan, if you don't teach Lennon anything else in this world, what's the one thing? Don't start with me. I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, no, I'm coming back hang to on, you. Hang on. No, let me, let me think for a second. Yeah. The number one thing the, I want If her. nothing else, if, and I'm going to ask you guys this as well, when, when your time is coming and you leave this earth, if you didn't teach your kids anything else, what is the one thing that you want them to walk away with? Don't worry. I'll mute out the silence. I'll, I'll edit out the silence. Don't worry about it. I don't know if I could boil it down. I think it would, I think it would be something about self-worth. Okay. That she is, that she is so valuable and beautiful right. and worthy because of who she is. And that's it. I just, I just feel like fundamentally, maybe I'm wrong. This is my theory. About 90% of what we struggle with in life is rooted in identity. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree I'd with say, that. It's and probably so, higher than 90%. And, and so yeah. if, if I can do nothing else but to leave her with the confidence of who she is, or I can do something to stabilize her identity as she transitions into, into, teen life and womanhood one day. Right. I think that would be most important. What about you, Jarvis? It, it would go back to the statement I just made that, that we are accepted in the beloved. Um, if I can teach my children any one thing and it's like this, the thing you get is teaching them how to receive the love of the father, right. how to receive God's love because he loves us so much. We struggle with receiving his love. Mm. And if I could teach them how to receive his love, that, I mean, everything else is just part of the journey. That's right. great. Chris, what about you, man? Yeah, I'm kind of with Jarvis on that one, man. Just the love that they can have for God because that, that filters that filters on to everything else. Right. I mean, I, I think when you, when you get to know God, you get to know yourself. And it's just like this trickling effect. So it just, it spills on to everything. And so I think... Um, that's just one I want to embody. Like I, I always live with this thing on myself of like, please Lord, as imperfect as I am, help somebody in the room to see the God in me. Yes. Like help me to have an impact. And y'all heard me say this before, I'll at least one person. So it's yeah. just, that's my thing with them is just knowing God and knowing that if you lean to him, then everything else will work itself out. Can I add an addendum to mine? Please do. Because I feel insecure right now. Um, <laughs> I don't want Lennon walking around being like, I'm beautiful because my daddy told me so. I think it's I think it's not only identity, it's identity in Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, I took th- you to mean that. Actually. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like, as meant. I was thinking, I was like, man, I don't know if I articulated that well enough to know that like, man, you're, you're worthy 
not because of even anything me as your earthly father told you. Right. Yeah. But because you come from the God of the most high. That's true. Like, That's you are clothed in, in grace and truth. Like, you know, you are a mighty conqueror. You are a warrior. What is all the truth of scripture? Like, what is what are those things that God says about you? And right. if I can get her to internalize some of those things. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think even beyond just identity, uh, I think it's like her identity in Christ. I love just it. As a, For me, it's that they're enough. Um, especially in today's age, um, right. everything that you see, everything that social media shows you, everything that the news shows you, it shows you that you're not enough, mm-hmm. that you should be doing this to be better. You need this to be better. It would be just them knowing that yeah. they're enough. You are enough. You are what Christ designed you to be. Are you perfect? No. Are you flawed? Yes. But you are enough. And I think that's, that's one thing that in t- I could be wrong, but in today's world, most people don't realize that. And that's why they're always looking and searching for something else. And we're doing the surgeries and we're changing this and we're mm-hmm. living this lifestyle yep. that's above our means. And, and we're putting these false images on social media because we want people to think that we're this thing. And it's simply because within ourselves, we don't realize that we are enough. Yep. Right. And I yep. think that's one of the biggest things. And and that actually led me to why I wanted to do this. Yes. I wanted to get the the four of us in the room because I wanted to have a conversation with you gentlemen. Um, But I don't know. And I've said this before on the podcast. Maybe it's just me. But when you look at movies and television and and social media and you watch commercials and things, they only when you see a father, it's a a, he's a buffoon. Yes. Yeah. He's a bumbling idiot. He the most immature person in the house. The most immature person. The the three year old daughter (laughs) is more mature than the (laughs) father. father. And this is the image that they show us. And this right. is what the, and to be honest, and in, in the black community, they love showing us that a father, there's no such thing as a father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no such thing as a black father. You know, he's not there. He's in, you know, and so what I wanted to do, I wanted to have this conversation to dispel all these myths. Yeah. There are still fathers in this world. Absolutely. There are still effective fathers in this world. There are still black fathers in this world who take pride in being a father because family, if you didn't hear anything else Chris said, Chris takes pride Mm. in being the father of four girls. Jarvis takes pride in being the father of his four kids. Jordan takes pride in being the father of his daughter Mm -hmm. because there are still fathers in this world who that title of father means something and it carries weight. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you gentlemen to show, to show the family, you know what? There are still fathers out here. No, we're not perfect. No, we don't do everything right. But our main goal is to be that effective father and raise effective kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and I want to be respectful of everyone's time. And we've been at this actually for an hour and a half now, which I didn't realize it. <laughs> but Time flies when you're having fun. It really yeah. does. I mean, it's good. I could do this all day. All Let's day go. Um, <laughs> the one thing that we always like to do with Crenshaw Corn is that we always like to leave the family with a final thought. Um, so I'm going to give you time because I know you're still new to the, the fatherhood game. Appreciate it. I'm going to come to you last. Hey, I pulled out the identity thing really pretty quickly. You okay? did. So I'm, pr- I'm proud I'm of Very that. proud of all you right. about that. All right. <laughs> So I'm going to start with Chris. So what is your final thought for the family? Um, just being a parent, um, time management, uh, discipline, structure, prioritizing, um, making dad cool, um, dope and dedicated, you know, like just being one of those situations where like, uh, like you said, Crenshaw, just changing 
the the narrative, right? Right. We're out here. We exist. Um, you know, I have friends that take pride in being fathers. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you just have to be involved. Right. Like, and give that extra, that extra push. I talked about it earlier, just being on E. Man, it it goes a long way. And we still have time. I mean, if you, you really look at your day and the time you spend doing outside things that are unimportant, there's an extra five or ten minutes or an extra 15 minutes of energy that you can apply to your kids, young or old. So just just be involved, make priorities, uh, manage your time, uh, be there. Just know that every moment of being there, they remember. It's important. My seven-year-old Channing, she can remember stuff when she was one and two. Uh, Chloe, Kaylee, Cameron, all of them. I mean, just they remember the smallest things. Right. From ice cream to Disney, it doesn't matter what it is. Being there, being present, being involved. You know, letting them know that they're loved by God. They can talk to God the same way they talk to you. Um, being an example. You know, those are the most important things. I love it. Jarvis, what's your final thought, my Man, friend? I feel like he summed it all up really, really well. <laughs> he has a tendency to do that. Um, man, I would I would say that they don't belong to us. Right. They are gifts given to us to, to be handed to the world. Like, um, I was looking at this scripture, Psalms 127 and 4, uh, like, in the, um, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Like, they were given to us to be sent out. Right. Mm. And so our job, my job, is to prepare my child to be sent out into this cruel, cold world and be a light. And so um, just remembering that, you know, we have to prepare them so they don't come back home. <laughs> so when they leave, they stay and gone. They stay gone. <laughs> but if we don't teach them how to navigate the world, and if we don't teach them how to be high quality people, how to have high integrity, then they're, they're going to just end up coming back. And, right. and, and, and it's about building legacy. You know, this, everything that, that we're doing, everything that we're trying to accomplish, it should be about legacy. It should be about giving them the opportunity to not start on, on ground, on the ground floor, that they should be able to start on a higher level than we are. Yeah. So love it. Um, I think I would say something along the lines of like the gifts to be a great parent or father are in your hands Mm. and um, it's not to be compared to anyone else's. And I think this is some of the stuff you were just talking about, even with like social media and and just the way the world inundates us. Like even you listen to this and you're like, oh man, Chris Kane does 10 10 at 10 with his kids. And it's like, (laughs) man, I'm not not a good counselor. I I barely even know how to talk to my kids. I couldn't do that. That's right. That's maybe not, maybe because it's not your gift. Right. And maybe because it's not in your hands. But there's something about you as a parent, you as a father, you as a mother that you uniquely bring to them. Your kids would be weird as heck doing a 10 with 10 with Chris. It'd be weird. (laughs) They They need you to do something. They need you to show up and everything you need to be a present, capable, amazing father, mother is in your hands. I love it. It's great. I love it. I love when Jordan talks. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. I don't know about that. I'm saying, hey, why? That's why I followed you. I followed you. For me, it's really simple. It's, um, and I'm going to speak to just the fathers. Um, give yourself grace. Um, you're not perfect, but you're there. Um, just be there. You'd be amazed at how just being there. Jordan, you mentioned it early on in the podcast where you say you just get on the floor with Lennon and just let her crawl around. 
and she knows, you know, she, she gets it. She knows that she's okay. She knows she's safe. She knows she's with her dad. She knows she's loved whether she's 10 months or 10 years. She knows. And I think that's where a lot of fathers mess up. We feel like all we have to do is provide. All we have to do is pay the bills. All we have to do is make sure they have a roof. All we have to do is make sure they got the basic necessities and everything else is covered. And that's so far from the truth because as a father, yeah, it is our jobs to provide. It is our jobs to cover, but it's also our jobs to be there. It's our gosh, our jobs to guide, to nurture. Um, I know that's a, a, a dirty word when it comes to some men that nurture word. Um, but trust me, it's in you. Absolutely. It doesn't have to look the way your wife does it. It doesn't have to look the way their mother does it, but you are a nurturer as well. So just be there for your kids. I don't care if you haven't seen your kids in three years. If you're still breathing, if they're still breathing, fix it. That's right. It's great. Fix it. Um, Cause it's never too late because all they ever wanted was you just to be there. So that's my final thought. Can I add a little something onto the end of Please that? Please do. Um, one of the things that I find that's, that's the major difference between mothers and fathers is we give ourselves a choice as to whether or not we're going to be a parent. Right. That's great. When the mother, when that baby is formed in her womb, she's already made up her mind, I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a mother. It's done. As fathers, we give ourselves a choice. And we have to stop doing that. Yeah. So like you said, that father, you haven't seen your children. Stop giving yourself a choice as to whether or not you're going to be a parent. Like you don't have a choice. Don't give yourself a choice. Be committed. Whatever that looks like, whatever lumps you have to take, like Sanchez said, he battled uh, for for 19 years, but he battled. He stayed there. He was in it. He was in the fight. Let's go, Jarvis. Uh, So you can't just uh, decide whether or not you want to be a parent. Because you're not in relationship with their mother. Like, no, you don't get a choice about that. Make up in your mind, I'm a father and I'm going to I'm going to raise these children. Because one of the things I had to realize is whatever my children are going to be, good or bad, it's going to speak to me. So I might as well be in it, making the best of it so that when it does speak to me. I won't be ashamed at the gate. That was the second part of that verse. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. Gentlemen, Chris, Jarvis, Jordan, uh, just thank you guys. Thank you for being open. It's a pleasure. Thank you for sitting down, being willing to have this conversation. Um, I know for sure that everything that was said here, there was something. Um, it's a phrase we use around here. We call Crenshaw Nuggets. Um, I know that somebody was able to take something away, a father, mother, a child. Somebody was able to take something away that they can apply, that they can they can use. You guys just blessed them, and thank you. Thank you for being willing. Thank you for blessing me. I just thank you for being a part of it. We truly appreciate you. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you for having us. So family, this was amazing. And I hope you realize how amazing it was. And we just thank you. We thank you for being a part. We thank you for listening. However you're listening, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's Podbean, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Google Play, whether it's iHeartRadio, on our own personal website at www.thecrenshawcorner.com. And always, we consider ourselves an interactive podcast, which means we can be found on the socials. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, all in the Crenshaw Corner. And of course, you can email us at any time at thecrenshawcorner@gmail.com. Once again, thecrenshawcorner@gmail.com. And as always, family, welcome to our journey.